faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about boys. Without further ado, welcome to the show. I like that intro. It's quite... We were dancing. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite cool. I'll tell you the best part about it. I like uh, it's Sean Conungo who says that, that last kind of final line. I like it when you guys are together and talking mm-hmm. about boys. It's just quite a nice, uh, always makes me feel nice and warm and fuzzy inside. So thank you, Sean, for that uh, <laughs> for that piece of uh, wisdom there. <laughs> but anyway, welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome, Chong, and welcome, Carolyn. How are you doing? Doing well, yeah. How about you guys? Yeah, all right. Dustin's in a very spacious looking room over there, Dustin. Yeah, yeah, I got a little bit more more space today. Yes, and 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 stretching out. Yeah, why not? And Cowling and Chuang (laughs) are both in the same room, which I, I was just saying I haven't seen for probably I don't know. I don't know when the last time I was in the room with with another actual person that's not part of my immediate family. It feels feels crazy. I know. I hope we're not sending any bad messages. No, 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 no. Bubbles are fine. Bubbles are fine. The UK have just been extremely uh, OTT in many areas. (laughs) But by the time this time... Go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say it is a little jarring sometimes. I don't know when you watch movies, if you're like, uh, like older movies or TV shows, you go, where's the mask? Why are they all, why are they all grouped together? Why are they Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, but welcome anyway. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, interested and, and looking forward to this discussion because um, it's always nice to speak to people who are working in, in what we would kind of call a center of excellence, you know, like a, a company who is taking voice technology and conversational AI seriously and certainly seriously enough that they have their own team that are crafting their own processes, crafting their own standards uh, and and doing their own research, you know, gathering their own learnings and and building their own stuff. I'm always interested in delving into those methodologies and learnings and things like that. So thanks for taking the time to to come and speak to us. Yeah, you bet. Thank you for opportunity. No worries, no worries. So, do you want to? We'll start out with some intros. Do you want to kind of give us a bit of a, a insight into who you are, what you do, and what your kind of roles are within Comcast? Chong, do you want to start? Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I can start. So, my name is Chong Wen. I'm a product designer um, for Voice Team uh, for the last three years now. And so, when I first started at Voice Team, I worked more on the um, uh, voice design for the TV space. And then after that, I like quickly broadened and expanded the scope of work more into uh, multimodal design uh, for the hardware and also uh, collaborate more with uh, NLP and ASR uh, scientists on the technology side. And um, prior to that, I'm, I'm a radar engineer. So I have a background in engineering. Um, uh, prior to that, I was a real engineer in France, so Dustin, that's why I interested. I asked you why you're in France. And, um, and then after that, I moved to the US um, and make my way to, to UX um, as a UX engineer for a software company. And yeah, so the, the work that I'm doing in Comcast right now is really um, help, the, help the team to um, advocate for voice and um, advocate for the multimodal designs and how to, uh, from, their, from the end-to-end, so from the uh, big vision work in breaking to smaller chunk and how we can 
uh, accessed um, and ship the the feature out in the world. So that's what I'm I'm doing. And obviously, work between um, in the ten- intersection between design, um, engineer, and product people, and and bridge the gap and start the conversation between those uh, three uh, components. Cool, Caroline. What about yourself? So, uh, hi everyone, my name is Carolyn Reed. I am the lead voice researcher for Chung and the rest of the voice team at Comcast. Uh, my training is in interactional sociolinguistics and all that is is a fancy way to say I study how we use language and features of language to get things done, whether those things are transactional tasks like exchanging information or maybe more interpersonal tasks like building trust. Um, between two interlocutors and again whether those interlocutors are two people um, or a person and a system cool nice and so what, uh, uh, i think there might be some delay on our line here dustin is there i think so okay should i leave and rejoin see if it oh, no, uh, fixes it uh it's all right okay how's that can you hear me what about now <laughs> I don't know. Can you hear me or not? <laughs> I, I can hear. I can hear you. All um, right. Is there a bit of a delay? I'm not sure. I think there's a bit of a delay. I think there yeah. is. I think there's a bit of a delay. All right. Well. Anyway, resume. Apologies. Apologies. Resuming, okay. Justin. You were. You, you, you were saying. <laughs> delay is a great example of um, you know a lot of the things that we think about when we're thinking about conversational design and interactions I mean the pacing of an interaction is is so important to you know to all of the turn-taking dynamics and that sort of thing politeness is involved there too so mm. a great live example exactly <laughs> it, it does affect the flow a little bit doesn't it yeah yeah exactly yeah you get this like stop start feeling of course and you know, the other thing that we think about, maybe not specifically in the context of the type of voice work that Trung and I do, but um, certainly in other cases are, you know, instances where that type of interruption feeling is a sign of like, I'm excited about what you're talking about. I'm enthusiastic. I'm showing you that I support and I care and I'm curious. Um, that's the case for some people, but not the case for other people who kind of want a longer um, pause between turns to show that, yep, I'm listening, I'm letting you have the floor, and that sort of thing. <laughs> and the, the so the original question, maybe it's working now, is uh, you yeah. mentioned earlier that you're helping the team advocate for voice. So what does that mean exactly when you're an advocate for voice? So, um, so when I, I would say advocate for voice is really helping figure out what is the best, uh, what's, where the best use cases for voice, where it could be the, you know, where we can help user to quickly get to their place where they want to be, find those micro places and also figure out like what is the best way to, to do voice interactions in, in your TVs through their customer journey, where is that? And so one of the things that we think about is this idea of like accelerating the experience. Mm -hmm. We know that 
Um, that's one of the biggest values that voice brings, certainly in our context. If you want to watch um, Below Deck, uh, I want to watch that now. You don't hold me up. Um, that's very important to our customers. Um, so when we're advocating for voice internally, say with our product managers or the engineering team or other stakeholders, um, we want to make sure that, yes, we're accelerating the experience, but in the right ways. There are certainly places in our um, UI where um, you know we're not able to accelerate with voice. There's other means for accelerating. So we want to be careful about yeah. when and where we advocate for voice um, because we want to make sure that we're um, suiting the customer's mm -hmm. needs and kind of their, their mindset yeah. in that moment. So we're not in the um, like a voice first scenarios. We're more on like, you know, multi-models um, designed um, and think about um, their or um, the experience holistically um, and figure out what's the best place for voice. So that's where I meant by advocate. Mm. Got some good feedback for you on the uh, on the voice uh, side of Comcast so far. Uh, I won't mention his name, but uh, I had a conversation with someone who, independently of this, he works uh, one of the founders of a of a pretty uh, decent voice AI platform, and uh, didn't mention this conversation. Didn't mention we were speaking to you. Just randomly out of the conversation came a praise for the voice interface on the Xfinity remote. Uh, with the statement that it works a hell of a lot better than any of the big tech companies could uh, could put together. And so I don't know what, what's behind the scenes, whether that is the technology, whether that's the design practice that's gone into that. But uh, yeah, people are using it, it would seem. And it seems to be a pretty good example of voice working pretty well. I'm pausing in case, in case, uh, <laughs> in case this delays me and I'm cutting off Dustin. <laughs> No, no. I mean, I guess, I guess one thing to ask is perhaps you, you talked about a constrained use case. What are the things that a Comcast customer today could use a voice that your team has touched on? So there's, um, so I think it's Comcast really sitting between the intersection of media and technology. So as a company, we, um, so we own, so we provide content. So NBC, NBC news, and then we provide um, cable uh, internet. So that is really a perfect um, intersection where we, we have the distribution channel and then we have the, um, um, the, the media content that we can provide. Um, so the, the three use cases where we, where it's really top of my head is the three domains that we are really good at is the entertainment, um, the uh, connected, connected life, and then, um, and then the um, customer service. Um, so that is the three um, big domain that we are really good at. Of majority, uh, 90, um, I think it's 97% of all the voice command that we, we saw in or, um, or TV space is, is for entertainment. So that is like we, we, we got into like, um, you know, t um, channel search or movie search, general search, or um, you know, uh, asking for what uh, suggestion for uh, content for example, what should I watch or, um, you know, uh, free comics movies or free uh, kids movie, for example. That is their uh, example for uh, use cases um, for entertainment space. We do also have um, a capacity to um, control uh, as, a, for example, fast forward or research um, rewind um, and pause. 
um, beside that, so I, for the, the um, connected life, we can we have also the um, department or the uh, business where we provide um, um, home connected, so camera or um, or um, doorbells and 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 so we can say something like um, uh, arm my systems or. Um, uh, another use case is uh, related to um, internet provide as an internet provider company is um, pause Charlie internet so something like that mm-hmm. so that's it, like uh, three uh, main use cases that we that is right now we do the best mm. so you mentioned earlier on Chuang about how part of your role is to figure out where voice fits in that customer journey in the right kind of places and so mm-hmm. I was, I'm glad to hear you say that because there, there is a bit of a voice fever kind of going on where everyone's trying to slap a voice interface on top of everything. And so, and so maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, who knows? I'm not necessarily that bothered what's, what's you know, rising tide raises all ships, so to speak. But I'm curious about what your approach is to finding those use cases. And so one one very simple way would just be to look at what it is that people do and then put a voice interface on top of that. Uh, so, um, you know, for example, um, I don't know, with with Spotify, for argument's sake, what do people do? Well, people find music. And so what do we do? Oh, well, let's put a voice interface that helps people find music. That kind of use case finds itself. Similar, arguably speaking, it could be similar when it comes to finding something to watch. It seems like a logical thing that voice would be useful for, given how horrible remotes are to try and tap and swipe. And it's not even a swipe. It's just tap, tap, tap in a way, which is it still frustrates me to this day. If I search for something on like Netflix on my TV, um, I still have to use the, the button to scroll down and go right and press A and then and so that seems like a perfect use case but I'm assuming there's a little bit more that goes on with your process than it than just looking at what we do and putting voice interfaces on top of it so I'm sh- I'm just curious as to how do you approach that kind of understanding the customer journey figuring out where voice kind of makes sense within that what kind of what was your approach to that Karen, do you want to talk about the, the research side of it? Yeah, I think one of the things that we make a point of doing when we're thinking kind of about the future of these interfaces is we start with discovery research. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that uh, often involves observational research. Um, that really helps us keep things tangible. Um, sometimes we'll do more kind of free-flowing, moderated interviews, qualitative-type um, ethnographic interviews. Um Back in the day, we would go into customers' homes and kind of learn about their context. Um, But that type of work is really what grounds um, the work that Chong does. So even if he's moving into more of a design discovery process, which I think you would say is maybe your next step once we come out of a discovery research component, Chung and the rest of the team has these, you know, elements that are really around users' needs, their mindset in that space. So if we're thinking about entertainment, the mindset is I want to watch something, mm-hmm. uh, whether I want to actually be looking at the television or maybe I just want something on in the background. But I, I came to my television, I came to my remote for a specific reason. Um, so we try to keep those types of things in mind as we're um, as we're moving mm-hmm. into the design process, and then you know. From there, then we'll get into more kind of traditional usability testing uh, type work. 
but taking the remote control as a, as a very good example, um, you know, you, Kane, you said the, the remote is this horrible thing with these buttons and so many presses, but from where we sit and based on, you know, a lot of the observational work that we've done, having to do some of those repetitive button press type tasks with your voice is perhaps even more burdensome on the customer. Um, so if we're looking to replace something that might involve multiple button presses, what, you know, we don't want to make voice, you know, a one for one there. We want to make sure that we're again, like pushing that acceleration benefit that we see to be so valuable. Yeah. So I think it's kind of covered well and how we approach things. And we are, our, we are a really small team and well-established and, you know, close knit team. We are like, uh, five designers, um, but each person own a really specific specialties. Um, and so uh, we always start with discord research and really seek out the problem versus, you know, so jump directly yeah. to solve the problem right away, but trying to figure out what's the problem here and what's the user mindset here. Um, the TV space have a really specific, um, like, you know, um, mindset of people. Um, people usually, go to um, your, you know, the living rooms and have like a relaxed pause, like relaxed position where they don't want to do too much work and they don't want to like, you know, um, be there to learn something new. And that is really tied into how we educate the old user, specifically for voice um, capacity and utility. But the, um, the other side of it is like, for example, um, navigation is a, is a good example. We really observe people and, um, um, on how they navigate through the, um, the interface. And uh, at the beginning, we just like, hey, a perfect scenario. We just want to put voice on every single use cases. But then we start to notice and then really look at holistic views like, hey, they are more on the browsing mindset. They want to actually take time to like go through um, the, um, the gallery of, you know, uh, title and gallery of uh, movies. Um, uh, and then it's not a perfect scenario for like voice navigation, for example. So that is like an example for really focus on user mindset and starting, starting with um, discord research and uh, accountant did a perfect uh, job on that. And then also um, um, from, for, for the approach, when we have the, um, the insight from the research, um, we, um, we kind of like group um, working with the design sprint for like all the big topics such as voice navigation or voice education, for example, breaking down a smaller chunk and actually um, tackle one by one uh, topics. Um, for example, if, if I take example of uh, voice and education, for example, how could we um, do for voice suggestion on the, on the TV? How could we um, address um, uh, user one day first time uh, install the systems or more on like a, a later end where they become more of a passionate user. So um, does that answer your questions, um, Ken and Justin? Mm, yeah, I think so. I think that's, um, so you start out with, with exploratory research. I think you've come across a few def a few interesting points there, which is that you're right, sometimes you do just want to sit down, chill out, and do a little bit of, you know, browsing if, you, if you're not quite sure what you want to watch. I think the voice side, side of things comes in really, really handy if you know what you want. Whereas if you're just kind of browsing, you're figuring out, maybe there's some exploratory researches that you could do around show me some films with Tom Hanks or whatever. Um, yeah. 
but you're right. But the 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 thing that one of the things I've been doing and having to do lately is my internet keeps dropping, and so I have to keep on resetting my internet password, which yeah. means I've got to keep going to my settings. So one open settings would be ideal. In fact, that might even work. I should try that. It might work on my my, my thingy, or or even just be able to reset my internet password because all of that tapping and swiping is is yeah so frustrating. But I can imagine that it has it does have um it has a place when you're kind of just sitting there chilling. You want to browse. You you've got no specific agenda. So I like that. And then the concept of first of all exploring the problem is is a good one because that's likely where you've got that piece of insight from is that when people sit down they don't always just want to get on with something though sometimes they're part of the relaxation is just browsing yeah. through channels and stuff you know right yeah yeah and i think one of the things i mean i can speak to my own kind of learning process at, at comcast i've been with the team about a year and a half now and i when i first joined i was very voice first voice everything um but i think something that i have certainly learned and that has become much more explicit to the team and i in maybe the last six months or so is that the we call it the 10 foot space um where you know the, the distance between you and your tv is inherently kind of implicitly and explicitly at various moments multimodal um, you've got the handheld remote that, yes, has these like vibro-tactile even components of the button presses that you can feel. Um, the, there's the audible ear con that happens when you hit the voice button. Um, and of course, there's everything that you can see on the screen, whether that's the content that you've requested, the, the ASR kind of transcription of what someone says is an important element there. Um, and of course, the audio feedback from the TV. So there's a lot of different components there. And voice isn't going to solve all of a customer's requests, needs. Um, it's not going to, you know, fit into every single mindset. Um, so I think that, I mean, that's certainly something that I've learned and kind of like come come to internalize over the last year and a half um, is that we want to work with these different modalities and not just um, be pushing voice because that's not meeting our customers needs hmm. and how often are you seeing uh, where somebody you know somebody might use touch or, you know the, the remotes the the tactile that you talked about for one action and maybe voice for another action but how often are you seeing a mixture of the two maybe starting off with voice and then moving to the touch or vice versa that's a good question. I don't know the stats yeah. on that, um, but it's very common. So we've been talking a lot about, uh, you know, this like direct retrieval type intent where I have in mind a either a specific show or movie that I want to watch or I have in mind even just a genre um, that I'm interested in. I can deliver that command, get into the space, whether that's an entity page or, you know, a, a browse type page or even you know say tv guide and get into that browse space um those are typically the types of things we see people lean on for voice because it accelerates the process but once they get into those spaces we see them typically switch over to the button presses because as i mentioned before it's even more burdensome to be saying down 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 when you could be doing that you know even more quickly with your with your button Hmm. So just just going back to this in question and and um, again like majority of the voice command that we receive again is is um, um, title search yeah. and um, channel tuning and um, uh, launching apps. So um, 
again, going back to the the um, the three mindset that we have, um, we uh, which we uh, master very well as is uh, direct retrievals, um, something we call neighborhooding, and then something we call combing, right? Something yeah, like that. Combing, yeah. Um, so it's like I know what I know what what the title I'm looking for. I know what TV shows. I know what channels I want to look for. That's where voice become like the best um, um, like use cases. Mm-hmm. And then more like neighborhooding is like oh I kind of like know um, oh I want to do something like um, TV sh- um, like free movies or free comedy shows mm-hmm. where how we can do like general search something like that. It's kind of like a good scenarios too. But for, you know, I don't know why I watch. That's where I want to do, like, go down, left, right, and use really the D-pad to explore um, channels. And, and, and that's where the guys start to come in. Mm. I like that. Neighborhooding. That's quite a good phrase. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, so it sounds as though the, the, the user research that you do um, in the beginning, obviously in, in people's homes, seeing them in situ ideally probably not so much lately as you mentioned but so then you return back to uh to the office to the studio you've got a list of problems you've got a big bunch of insights chong you mentioned design sprints you take that into a design sprint what does that design sprint look like and and how does that unfold do you use the kind of google quadruple diamond methodology have you got another framework that you use like how how does you how does that frame that sprint tend to to unfold what's what's the process yeah, it's, it's a really good question. So we don't. So first, firstly, we don't use the design sprint for every single project. We only use when we have a um, timing challenging, or we we have a really broad, big topics that we need to figure out. Um, for example, again, like um, direction, like navigation, or like education, something like that. So we don't apply. So we consider design sprint. Uh, less than a recipe, but more on the mindset and um, psychology thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we picked the right exercise for for us at that time. Um, there, the um, we always start. So Colin and I collaborate on the um, do a lot of like workshop on design inspired, design sprint inspired. Um, so so um, for specific use case, specific example. Um, we uh, kind of start to do you know physical research and and we have the um, the readout the research readout and then she um, we collaborate on how we can do the workshop right and so um, kind of start to do um, a research readout first to prep the conversation um, to put the uh, uh, t- the team where we gather all of the designers engineering uh, product people on the same place. Um, where we prep the conversation and set the stage. And then after that, we apply, um, we pick couples uh, design uh, sprint exercises. Um, the, uh, the map exercise is one of their, the, the one of useful thing. And the, uh, how might we sticky notes, um, the, the voting on the sticky notes, and then um, brainstorming with the crazy eight, something mm. like uh, as, a, as exercise. So from that, we quickly, um, um, split into different small team and works um, um, independently, and that's actually after that we group together. So pretty much respect the um, the uh, respecting the um, the design sprint methodology, but really uh, craft and uh, um, and pick the right side for us. 
Um, so that is how we, we do. And countenance is the or, or, uh, facilitator for design sprint. Because, um, uh, we, as one thing I want to mention is like, um, the facilitator need to be, you know, excluded from the, the design because, um, as, as, as a designer, you, you close your, you, you, um, you hold your design really close to your heart and kind of like, easy to get defensive on, on something like that. So Kellen is, uh, is or, um, or, um, neutral. <laughs> neutral <laughs> yeah. You know, another thing we've learned, I think about the design sprint too, is that we don't have, you don't have to take that full week. I think that's outlined, um, in, in design mm-hmm. sprint. Um, we often make it a little more modular, you know, tackle, to one or two tasks or activities on mm-hmm. day one and then maybe two or three days later tackle the next when somebody when you know when the team has the time mm-hmm. um i mean i don't think that's an unusual challenge for uh, organizations certainly big organizations that calendars are, are tricky and not everyone's going to be able to commit the four to eight mm-hmm. hours that we would love to have of them um so we try to accommodate that um mm-hmm. to ensure that you know, our engineers can participate, our product people can participate along with the designers and maybe any other researchers that we want to be voices in the room. Hmm. Interesting. So, so you, you've got, so that's following t- typical framework so far though. You've got your research up front, you define your problem, you take that into your, your briefing, which is presenting the situation, uh, understanding or outlining the problems to be solved. You then go through that how might we exercise to explore the solutions, and then you've got the crazy eights that then comes up with, with various solutions, and then you presumably vote on which ones you want to take away. When you split up and and go your separate ways to work on on whatever it is, what exactly are you each doing there? Is it scripting? Is it prototyping? Like, what is everyone tasked to actually go away and do? So, um, one of the example is um, for the voice education uh, project, where we um, we like one person focus on the uh, the visual design of it, and the other person focus on the content strategy of it. So, um, we have or you we we. Um, we are glad that we have all UX writers with us too. So, we, and by voice education, mm-hmm. just so everybody's yeah, on sorry. the same page, uh, what we know that is the voice like tips uh-huh. that appear mm-hmm. at the top of your screen. So, if somebody's on a, you know, just executed a, a genre search, um, you know, we might say check out our free comedies mm-hmm. or some kind of suggestion to help them know what what to say, like what voice commands are available slash relevant in that yeah. context. Sorry, I, I should be more clear on that, but. Um, so we, we 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 split up, and one person should like focus on the the visual design of it, and the other person should focus on the um, um, the content strategy, the words, and uh, what the content we should provide. And after that, we merge together um, and vote on the um, most um, relevant solution. So that is uh, yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Uh, one thing is also mentioned is we not only, um, but so, so the design is, is kind of messy, right? So we, um, if we look at how we can best educate user um, by using design sprint, it's also allow us to discover 
what is the quickest way to go out to market? Let me get an example of this. As um, at the beginning, I think it's last two years ago or last year, we were trying to do something. How could we best educate user or first-time user? So um, either go through um, the guide, um, the instruction in the box, or we could do like um, something on the screen saying, "Hey, you um, done with your installation? Uh, you might try this voice command." So that's another way. Um, the another way is. Um, the marketing team, editorial team, right? So they send out emails um, with all the voicemail that we can try it out on your, on your phone, um, uh, reading their email. So those uh, kind of that we consider as for education in general. Uh, but we started to do design sprint with that, like how could we best educate user uh, in general? And then later in, this, in the design sprint, we say kind of like, wait a minute, we actually have the voice command called what can I say? And this is the best, this is the quickest way for us to get out there and validate or, or assumptions about um, the content and the, this, uh, what things that the user are interested in, right? So the design spring is not only um, allow us to um, like figure out the solution quickly, but also uh, uh, allow us to uh, start a conversation and actually prioritizing and see where is the where is the opportunity for us to to quickly go to the market. So that's kind of like um, a like a example for for design sprint. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the the final part around bringing those solutions together. Um, voting on or getting the, the solution into such a shape understanding the fastest kind of route to market typically in in a design sprint the next step would be kind of prototyping and, and testing mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff is that the case with with you as well is it sometimes things that are so clear cut that we kind of just try and get it in front of people go to market or do you what's your what's your framework once you've decided what it is that you might want to do is it is it testing is it going to market like how does it how does it kind of work yeah, it, I mean, it depends. I think there are certainly cases where we'll put something live out to customers and do kind of a more traditional A-B testing on a larger scale. Um, but a lot of the work that our team touches is more conceptual and kind of early development. So that's when we would want to do a prototype and go mm-hmm. through kind of the more um, traditional iterative usability testing. Trong is a whiz at <laughs> Adobe XD, which has been our main tool for um getting prototypes in front of customers early, quickly, um, and getting some of that testing type feedback. Yeah, I have to give kudos to Adobe XD people and maybe Adobe XD sponsor us somehow, <laughs> but, um, but we use Adobe XD a lot when it's come to like usability testing and how could we either on, on site or we like currently like, um, hire, like get or testing in on the office. Um, like one years ago, two years now, um, but or we can do on online and um, Adobe XD they have a, a website and with their voice recognitions, and you can actually build different use cases and scenarios, um, and it, it works with your voice uh, seamlessly. So uh, kudos to Adobe XD for that. Hmm. spring in there, and it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, and if you're just hearing about o- Adobe XD, we incidentally have a podcast interview with uh with the team from april 2018 so should definitely check that out nice. yeah so why 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 do you 
decide on Adobe XD? Like, there's there's other tools out there, Voice Flow, Botmock, etc. What is it about Adobe XD that that makes it the tool to go to for for your prototyping? I think so. Uh, like again, specifically for for ten food experience, we we rely a lot on the UI itself. So Adobe XD allow us to have the animation going, have the um, the voice recognitions going on. So all of the uh, the when I when I first check in, like other prototyping tool that you mentioned can um, is it was not supporting. Um, the UI and animations, and um, Adobe XD support their, 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 their animation and UI. And then right now they also support the um, their um, um, the icon. So you can actually include your um, your own um, sounds in there, which is uh, which is exciting. And is is um, so, so when you when we prototype, we need to make sure that is. Is uh, most realistic as possible, right? So the Adobe XD allows you to do that. And I think the other thing that's maybe different for us than for people who might use Botmock, for example, is that our the voice component of these experiences is typically only two turns. You can mm-hmm. say the customer's voice command and then our mm-hmm. response to that command. Um, so yes, technically it is conversational and that there's two, you know, interlocutors, there's two turns going on. Um, but that's typically the extent of the Mm -hmm. voice interaction for us. Whereas, you know, somebody who's working maybe on our Xfinity assistant, um, chat bot might be interested more in seeing a multi-turn, you know, three, three or more turn type interaction. Yeah. So it's more on the voice control entertainment, uh, versus, you know, like, assistance space. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Carolyn, you mentioned earlier that when you first started, you were voice first everything and, and you've come around a little bit to more of the multimodal. Were there other mistakes that the two of you made and learned from over the years that you could share with, with the audience? Um, I mean, we talked a lot about directional navigation already. I think for me, that was a major eye opener that, yeah, no, of course, nobody wants to say down, down, right, over, left, up. Um, that was a big thing, a big learning. I mean, it sounds very simple, but um, the other part of that learning for me was kind of the complexity and, and um multiple dimensions that our system supports. So yeah, when you're, you know, navigating directionally, sure, there's up and down. But in many cases, there's also the like in and out uh, direction. I want to go into an entity page and kind of check out the details of these below deck as an, as an example again. Um, but maybe I decided I'm not, I'm not into that right now. So I have to come back out. So there's, there's a lot of different um, directions that a customer might move in the space that I think has helped inform my, um, you know, views on voice first versus a, a multimodal um, experience. I don't know what you think. <laughs> it, it sounds great. It sounds great. Um, uh, for the mistakes that we made, um, I think we, so since voice, like right now, I think especially for Comcast, it's voice since it's kind of like connecting issues, tying things together. Um, one, whatever we do, we, we, we start to noticing and, and we have to make sure that all of the partners and all of the um, designers and you know whoever we involve in the in the project have to align at least on the goal 
um, of the project and um, and how we get there because pretty much down the line, um, like things kind of be messy. Uh, also, on the uh, when I first started, I was um, uh, doing more. Um, I was doing their uh, voice design system, so really um, uh, get alignments with 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 the uh, partners and work towards the consistency of the experience um, in terms of the UI, in terms of the um, um, content strategy. So because since we have like how much fourteen billion. 14 billion, so yeah. 14 voice command um, and really a lot of use cases and or a company is pretty big. So often the compass, um, the, um, the, uh, the message get lost in the middle of the train. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, make sure that we have alignment and consistency um, in some of um, like uh, um, UI and content strategy. That's kind of like the, the things that we've learned in the past. Mm. Um, and also, yeah, like when you work with NLP and the researcher for like uh, language sticks, make sure that you talk the same language with them because designers and a language like researcher often mention two things different when it's come to like entity and intent. Uh, for example, like right now for us, when we mention, hey, um, entity, like if for us, it's the entity page. Uh, versus um, uh, linguistics and NLP scientists mentioned something different regarding to entity. So that make sure that you talk in the same language and pay attention to you know th- those terminology and vocabulary. So that's a that's mm. in that learning path. One some of the um, those that are setting up their own conversation design practice. Um, one of the questions I often get asked and one of the things that people often come to us seeking is frameworks for kind of conversation design practices, some of which you've outlined there with the sprint methodology and stuff like that. But then what, what that leads to then is the same thing it leads to when you work with websites or you work with apps or visual design is that over time you get a process that's defined and that process leads to consistent outcomes. And so that process is then adopted and understood within the team and within that process often you then have certain principles and standards that emerge so for example comcast is highly likely to have brand guidelines when it comes to usage of the logo you know style guides when it comes to uh designing and creating new web pages and and certainly when it comes to the you know the 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 UI, as you mentioned in there, John, around like, you know, there, there'll be standards that exist, principles that exist, you know, mm-hmm. colors that we have defined. Have you got to the point yet where you have principles and standards when it comes to your voice and conversation design process or output? I think it's work in progress, but we have for product design, uh, voice product principles. Mm-hmm. And, um, Something is really applied to the way we design things. Uh, I for voice as um, one of the things I pr- like. One of my favorite thing is um, don't let them hang in, bro. So it's kind of <laughs> kind of hard to say it, but um, but it's really uh, allow user let the user know uh, in like unhappy path or like something unexpected that we cannot fulfill the user intent as why they have that result and where does that come from and what is the other way that you know the alternative way that they can actually um use and like uh, for example give them a voice suggestion that it can actually 
um, asset alternative. So the, one of the um, voice principle that I like it a lot. Also, keep it simple. Um, is make sure that um, all the result or whatever you do, uh, make sure that simple and sweet and clear and really call to actions. Um, that is the the, the design, like voice product principle, but it's really applied to the way we work. And all of that kind of comes back to that early discovery work. Like keep it simple. The customers there for very task oriented in a very task oriented mindset. They're not there to build a relationship with us. They're there to watch TV. So keep it simple in that sense. Um, and you know, don't leave don't leave someone hanging. I think one of the other underlying research-oriented principles or observations that we've made is that people will lose trust in voice very easily if they're led off of a path or if they're not 100% certain that they're going to be able to get to below deck easily and instantly. If there's any doubt in their mind, they're not going to use voice. So we want to make sure that we're supporting people. If they get off their path, we want to make sure that we let them know where they are, let them know how to get back to wherever it was that they either wanted to go or, you know, that we kind of hypothesized that they um, were trying to go. Yeah, and we, we also, when we were redesigned, we work really closely with brand teams. So we make sure that we respect their brand principle too. And are we, um, are we helpful here? Are we sounds like fresh? Are we sounds um, passionate? So that kind of like things that we, um, we, we rely on as their or guideline for, for voice interaction. Yeah, it's interesting your question too, because like I think of a lot of the principles that we're describing here are very behind the scenes. They're not necessarily like front end customer facing visual design work or like sonic design principles. Certainly we have our branded ear cons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the copy is really the place where our, you know, traditional design principles and kind of the persona of this um, nascent voice avatar really shines through. Um, and again, as Chung mentioned, that kind of falls back on our like corporate level um, content strategy guidelines. Mm. I think a lot, of, a lot of the, a lot of the reason for defining standards really is, is internal in, in many cases anyway, to make sure that the process you follow always leads to a consistent kind of output. But there, there's obviously things that might might impact the front end, but you mentioned persona there. Do, do you have a defined persona, a specific persona that you work to or, or not? Is no, it a debate? No, again, I think it's because, I mean, the interactions, the interactions that we have with customers are so brief. They're not there to build a relationship with mm-hmm. us. Um, you don't hear uh, our, you know, we don't, you don't hear our voice when you're watching TV, the sound that we want to prioritize is you know whatever tv show you're watching um so that personality that that it's really xfinity's personality i think that comes through in the um in the content in those voice Mm -hmm. education tips um that's really the only place where you see some kind of hint of a personality but we don't have a kind of formalized Mm -hmm. persona for our um, voice avatar, um, but I don't know that we necessarily need one at the, at least at this point um, where the product is. Interesting. So it doesn't speak anything. Everything that every all it's all input, and then the UI is the thing that changes. Exactly. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for example, right now for specific use cases, um, can is um, let me. 
if you pick up the Rose remote and and um, and say Netflix, for example, and you can have the avatar, um, the ASR going on and say and capture your work while well, say Netflix. And then after that, that um, the avatar disappear and then launch your your Netflix app. So that is about it. Otherwise, if you change, if you launch your Netflix or or uh, Prime videos by D-pad and really select on menus, there um, we have the um, the avatar just scroll down and say, hey, for next time, you can actually just launch Netflix by say Netflix. So uh, it's more on the uh, social um, interactions that we have. Right, and all that is text. There's mm-hmm. no um, there's no mm-hmm. voice out sound. Yeah. But since it's only only text, we we actually do like make sure that the text again is going back to the the, the principle here it needs to be clear, short, sweet, consistent, um, um, clear um, call to actions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because it's really strengthened to the the UI itself. You only have you know a certain amount of uh, character limited. So. Mm, interesting. That's, I never thought about that, actually. I don't think my TV speaks to me, actually. Not that mm-hmm. I speak to it much. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, any, any, uh, any kind of tips or, or kind of last minute pieces of advice for people who are either, one, looking to kind of set up their own voice design practice or, or center of excellence or anyone else who is working uh, on anything similar where um, there, there is a definitive reliance on screens as well as voice any, any kind of advice that you would give them for for getting started or for improving what they what they're doing I mean, I can speak to setting up your team. Um, we've, I mean, I'm a linguist, hire a linguist. Um, also, we also have a behavioral psychologist on our team who has been invaluable. So you can get your hands on someone with that skill set or resources that kind of put you in the frame of that that realm of research. Those those two, especially in combination, I think have been incredibly valuable to us in that discovery definition phase. Yeah, and and definitely have Colin um, in our team is 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 a big plus for us because always start with research and how we can build a research backed um, process is really important. Also, really based on data too. Like um, you never know what kind of content that user interested in, so make sure that you track those um, those data and, and evaluate it. Um, and then, you know, pay attention to the user mindset. You, voice doesn't need to be everywhere, but really focus on the use cases. And don't be afraid to, like, not know the answer, mm-hmm. I think, is also, I always have to remind myself, I mean, we work on yeah. we work on things that we've never touched before. You know, when I first entered this field, I had zero technology background, and I think as a team, we've all gotten very comfortable trusting one another, being willing to just kind of bounce ideas off one another and, and not be afraid to, you know, try something, give something a go. And if it's wrong, fine, we'll go find another route. Um, but kind of balancing and, and recognizing that that kind of uncertainty and like nebulousness is part of, is part of this job, um, especially since we're such a small team, um, you know, to an extent we have specialties, but a yeah. lot of times the big problems that we work on are, all hands on deck. Yeah, it's kind of funny to to um, to say that voice like 
Maldivian voice command. We have like only five designers, but um, if I, I I've heard that um, Alexa when it first started, they only have four designers too. So um, it's, it's we order the same the same uh, scenarios there. But again, be nimble and be um, as a team and and collaborate and and um, and apply those uh, methods where you can actually quickly like learn quickly and um, moving fast. So that's uh, a thing that we, we like to suggest. Mm. Nice. Well, I think, you know, if you've got the, the frameworks and the approach, you know, it seems to be grounded in user research, finding a problem worth solving. You've got obviously the, the methodologies and frameworks around designing, solutionizing, prototyping, validating, all that kind of stuff. And so as long as you've got the frameworks, I think that even though it might be, <laughs> some problems might be harder than others, I think that, you know, you've, you've obviously got the, the means of, of making it happen, which is uh, obviously being proven out, which is, which is fantastic. Um, Dustin, any, any final thoughts? No, other than to say this was great, and thanks so much for appearing on the podcast with us. Likewise, thanks so much. It was great Thank talking you. to you guys. Nice one. Where can people uh, find out a bit more about yourselves or about what you do? And, and second question: any any resources that you would recommend for people to check out who are interested in learning more? Uh, we're both on LinkedIn uh, and Twitter. I think you can search for our names um, on both those networks, um, and then resources. I've been reading Cheryl Platz's new multimodal book. I think it's Designed Beyond Devices. Um, again, we talked a little bit about multimodal. That's a new, newish space for everyone, um, but it's been a great book so far. And then we also talked about Jake Knapp's yeah, uh, Design Sprint that everyone's familiar with, I suspect. <laughs> And then uh, there's a tons of podcasts out there. UX World, again, kudos to you guys. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a good one. And, um, uh, voidbot.ai mm-hmm. um, is a good one too. Um, so yeah, there's a tons of good resources, Medium articles about doing conversations, designs um, on mediums, and again, um, podcasts. Um, pretty good one. Yeah. I'll also give Women in Voice a plug mm-hmm. here. They're a great network. I think they're at almost all the conferences. Um, it's a network that has grown fairly significantly in the last year or so. Um, they've got a read a book club, a reading club um, that's ongoing. Uh, definitely check check that one out. Cool. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. We'll put all of those links in the show notes. And uh, I'm, I was going to say I, I look forward to experiencing it, but I don't know whether Xfinity does Xfinity exist in the UK or is it so US only? Sky is part of Comcast. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So they're um, they have a different interface and a different hardware, um, but their underlying technology is our technology. Um, so if you're inter- you know if you're watching on Sky, you're probably interacting with um, yeah. something that we've at least consulted yep. on. <laughs> nice. We work with them too on, on the daily basis yeah cool wicked well this has been an absolute pleasure really appreciate the time and uh, yeah look forward to speaking again soon and for everyone else who has tuned in thank you again as always and we'll see you on the next one awesome yeah. bye everyone bye <laughs>